Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode number 15.3, the third episode in our series on Saguaro National Park near Tucson, Arizona. In this episode, I speak with Don Swan, a biologist at Saguaro National Park. Don talks about how the saguaro have changed over time, the biodiversity that makes Saguaro National Park a unique and special place, why the park saw a wildflower super bloom this year, citizen scientist opportunities, favorite hikes, tips for visitors, and more. Visitors to Saguaro National Park should take safety precautions seriously, especially when it comes to water. Even when it is not hot, it is a dry environment, which will cause dehydration without you even realizing it. Always make sure to carry enough water with you. I will include a link in the show notes with regard to safety precautions. We also want to hear about your adventures. Do you have a story to tell about your family's experience at a national park? A favorite recommendation to share or how this podcast helped enrich your trip? Email us at hello at everybody's nps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybody'snps.com. Before I get to today's topic, I want to take a moment to talk about listener support. If you are already a patron of the podcast, thank you so much and feel free to skip ahead one minute to today's conversation. If you are not yet a patron and you want to hear my thoughts on this topic, here they are. This podcast is a labor of love. We were looking for a podcast that would help us in planning our family trips to national parks. We could not find one, and so we decided to create the podcast we were looking for. I ask you this question, has this podcast brought you value? If so, would you consider becoming a patron by offering financial support? Patreon is a platform that allows for recurring monthly support for as low as a dollar per month. You may find a link on our website, everybody'snationalparks.com, to support the show. Thank you to all of our patrons. Now let's get to the conversation. I am here today with Don Swan, a biologist at Saguaro National Park, and his major responsibilities are long-term monitoring, research, science education, and management of a range of national resources. Hi, Don. Thank you for joining me. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Before we get into the main topic, can you tell us a little bit about how long you've been in the park and what you do in the park? Yes, so I'm a biologist at the park. I've worked at Saguaro for many years, more than 20 years. And I started in education and then got my graduate degree. And I'm really mostly interested and have been working for many years on just taking a long-term view of changes that are happening in Saguaro National Park and and kind of giving that perspective to visitors through various means, including citizen science, where we actually get people out there in the park to help us do the science. Oh, wow. That's great. And so that's available to visitors or people who live in the Tucson area all year round and and can help out? It's primarily available to people that live in Tucson and can help us on a regular basis. But we we actually do have opportunities for visitors and um, we are contacted 
often by people that want to help for a few days or a week or a couple of weeks. And we're usually able to accommodate them depending on what their interests are and and how much time they can give us. Can you give me just a couple of examples of what citizen scientists might do? Yeah, so one project that we have coming up next year that we're really excited about is called the Saguaro Census 2020. And the Saguaro Census is the way that we use in the park to monitor and really understand the health of the population of our signature plant, the saguaro. So every 10 years, and it coincides with the U.S. Census, which occurs every 10 years, every 10 years, we go out and when the rest of the country is counting its people, uh, we count our saguaros. So we don't try to count every single saguaro in the park, but we have study plots that are set up actually randomly across the, the range of elevations in the park. And we bring people out and on those plots, they count saguaros, they note the number of arms and the number of bird holes on the saguaros, they measure them to see how tall they are, which allow us to estimate how old they are, and collect other data that really helps us understand what changes are occurring uh, over long periods of time for this long-lived plant that, that means so much to us. So how have things changed over time? I know there's there's been a long-term monitoring project that started way before your time there. What have you seen and what can we expect going forward? Well, that's a great question and it's one that I get all the time. So it's a long story, but you know, when the park was created, we had this incredible stand of saguaros in what is now the Rincon Mountain District on the east side of Tucson. It was really considered one of the best places to see really large saguaros in the United States. Um, that was in the 1930s. Um, during the 1940s, 50s, and into the 60s, a lot of those really large saguaros died and they weren't replaced. And and looking back at it now and, and looking at the science and looking at the photographs, uh, we can see that there were very few trees, but a lot of large saguaros uh, in the 1930s. And the trees had been cut down for firewood uh, more than 50 years earlier. And saguaros need these trees to grow up underneath when they're young to protect them from the cold and the heat. So when the park was created, the saguaros were, were dying, but we weren't getting replacement baby saguaros. As the trees started to come back with the protection of the national park, the saguaros started to come back as well. And starting in the 1960s through the 1970s and 80s, we really had kind of a surge in establishment of young saguaros. Even though they grow very slowly, they're still only a few feet tall. The good news is that we have a lot of young saguaros out in the park right now, and they're replacing those giants uh, that were back in the 1930s. So generally, we're, we're pretty optimistic about the future of the saguaro in the park. We have some concerns because that that establishment has kind of diminished in the last few years because we've been in a long-term drought. Right. But in general, we have a lot of young saguaros in the park. And so if you come to the park and look for saguaros, especially if you look under those trees, you'll you'll see quite a few. Yeah, my kids loved seeing, we called them like nursery school. Look at all the nursery schools. (laughs) Right. With all the trees underneath, or all the um, saguaros, rather, under the trees. Yeah, so we call them nurse plants, and really that's their function is to kind of, you know, nurse the saguaros along when they're young and uh, allow them to get to the age where they can store water. And, and, you know, once they get to be, you know, a few feet tall and they can store a lot of water, they're really resilient to droughts. But when they're babies, they can't store very much water. And so if there's a long dry period, they, they often don't survive. I see. And so these young ones that we're seeing, they're not going to be giants 
the next generation may get to see them as giants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it takes a while. It takes decades before they reach the point where they're as tall as we are <laughs> and before they start flowering and reproducing and putting on arms that, you know, that can be 75 years um, or more. So, yeah. So one of the things I love about saguaros and, and, you know, a reason to visit the park is to have that longer perspective. Saguaros live longer than we do. Uh, they can live up to 150 or maybe even 200 years. And so there's no way that in the course of our lifetimes, we can really understand this plant. So it takes kind of generations working together to study them and understand that their dynamics. But also it's, it's good for us because it gives us that long-term perspective, which is so important for national parks. And I say that because parks are, you know, not just for us to enjoy today, but for our grandchildren and great-grandchildren to come back and enjoy in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, I just was having that same thought recently because um, the first park my kids went to were, was Shenandoah, and we've been to Shenandoah so many times. It's kind of our, even though we live far from it, <laughs> it's still kind of our home park. We feel very at home there. We were just there last week, in fact, and I was kind of daydreaming how nice it will be someday to walk holding my grandkids' hands here. <laughs> so um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so how does climate change affect the park? You talked about water, but how else can you uh, explain that? Yeah, so I, I'm not a climate scientist, but what we're seeing on the Sonoran Desert and at the park is increasing temperatures. So, you know, we're, we're seeing the average temperatures rising. We're getting you know, some really hot days in the summer, uh, more more than we've seen in the past. And what that has a tendency to do is to dry out the soil. So it, it kind of exacerbates drought conditions. And so the slowing down of establishment of young saguaros in the park, we think, is associated with this long-term drought that we've been in. And that drought, in turn, is, is probably somewhat related to the higher temperatures that we've been having. So it's something that we're not concerned about in the short term because saguaros do live so long and they can go for years without having a large number established and and still be healthy. But it's something we're definitely keeping an eye on for the future to see whether this this drought is is just a temporary situation or if it's really the future as far as climate change goes. So we're just keeping an eye on that. I see. And what adaptations do plants and animals have to survive in the Sonoran Desert? You know, the Sonoran Desert is hot and dry most of the time. And then sometimes we get intense rain. And so so if you're a plant, you can have different strategies to survive that. So obviously the saguaro strategy is to store water. So they're a big column of water that goes up into the air, really. And they can take up massive amounts of water during a heavy summer rain. And they'll actually swell to accommodate that water. And then they can use that water over the next couple of years if it doesn't rain again. So that's that's one strategy. Another strategy that a lot of plants use is they just go dormant and then grow again when the when the rains come. So ocotillo is an example of that. They, they'll put out their leaves um, when it rains. And then after a few weeks, if the rains have stopped and it gets dry again, their, their leaves will just shrivel up and fall fall away. So they'll, they'll be photosynthesizing for just a few weeks and then they'll stop and they'll wait until the rains start again. And then a third strategy that a lot of annual plants use is They'll put out seeds and those seeds will fall into the soil and they'll just sit there in the soil for years until the right conditions come along. So we've had one of these super blooms this year. We have amazing, gorgeous spring annual plants like poppies and 
lupin and owl's clover. And those are plants that, that have seeds that have been sitting in the soil, just kind of waiting for the right conditions to come along for a number of years. And so when those conditions occur, we get these blooms. We've been in one this spring. It's been fantastic. We've had, you know, thousands of people visiting the park and, and, and it's still gorgeous out there. Wow, that is so cool. Yeah, we missed that by a few weeks because we were there in mid-February. But that just sounds amazing. I've seen pictures online. And I guess there's no way of forecasting when that may happen again because it just depends on the conditions of the environment. So just this was the year. Yeah, we had a good inkling that it was happening starting in October and November because what really kind of gets those seeds to germinate are late season warm uh, warm rain. So if we get you know rain in October when it's still fairly warm, those poppy seeds will germinate. And then if we just get, you know, kind of enough rain throughout the winter, then then we know we're going to have a good bloom year. So so we so we did see it coming. It was a little bit delayed this year, which is why you didn't see it in February, because, you know, fortunately, we, we continued to get rain, we got cool weather, and that just made the bloom even more spectacular when it really erupted in March. I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, funny enough, that's why we ended up at Saguaro, because this trip was supposed to be to the petrified forest and we couldn't get up there because <laughs> half the state was closed <laughs> with the st- with right. the big snowstorm but we got to see a snowman in Saguaro instead which was very cool <laughs> well and you're very lucky because there aren't many days when we can build snowmen in, in Saguaro so yeah it was great once every 5 years or so so we actually had two snowstorms this year which was really remarkable and we were we were all so excited and by snowstorm, that's like five inches or more. Well, my definition of a snowstorm is snow that falls in the ground and sticks around for a while. Okay. So, I mean, for a while, like, you know, eight hours or 24 hours. So, yeah, we had snow that, that sat there on the saguaros and on, on the ground for an entire day. And so lots and lots of people came out to the park to see that and, and build snow people and, and take selfies with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I saw on the Instagram site for Saguaro, the one that was right outside the visitor center wearing the ranger hat, which was very cute. But then <laughs> that was gone by the time we got there. But what is the name of the picnic area? I'm drawing a blank right now on the east side. Oh, isn't it called the Javelina Picnic Area? Yeah, Javelina Picnic Area. There are the protected picnic area. That, you know, there's some tables that have that awning. And so there was a snowman on the table that was protected from the sun. So it, it stayed around a little bit longer. Yeah, great. <laughs> that was fun. That was really a sight to see. And it was great to go on a hike around the snow, too. That was really an experience. Speaking of hikes, what are some of your favorite hikes to see a good cross-section of different habitats, a variety of plants and different types of cactus, animals. Any recommendations there? Well, especially for families with younger kids, I, I recommend the Freeman Homestead Trail. So it's it's off the Park Loop Road, and uh, it's just a one-mile loop road. But in that one mile, there's a really a lot packed in. You get to walk in a wash which was actually flowing this winter for a brief period of time, but it's a a desert wash. There's a cliff that has a lot of what we call caliche caves, which are excellent habitat for animals. And so your chance of seeing an animal on that, on on that walk is is pretty high, but also you walk through the desert, you'll see saguaros, you'll see, you know, some of our other iconic 
Sonoran desert species like barrel cactus and choya and Palo Verde trees. Some really large saguaros, actually. And then there's a little bit of history. There's an old adobe homestead. So it, it's just a mile long. It's, it's, it's something that you can do with young children. There's some interpretive signs. And it really gives a nice cross-section of the park. So another hike that's really great if you have a little bit more time, or even if you don't, is to hike up the Tanque Verde Ridge Trail, which is also off the loop road. And the beauty of this trail is that it goes up into the park's higher elevations. So at the, in the desert, you see lots of saguaros. Great chance of seeing wildlife like a desert tortoise or a javelina, depending on the time of year. But if you have more time, and, and for people that are more ambitious, you can go all the way up to the areas where we have pine trees and oak trees. And one of the really great things about Saguaro National Park is we have these high elevation areas that are, are as I described, it's like walking from Mexico up into Canada if you, if you take a long enough hike. There's no roads up there, but it's, it's great. We have campsites and uh, really enjoyable. So that's, that's another option. But really, there's a lot of different hikes all over the park and both districts of the park. And if you come out and visit, there's lots of options. That sounds amazing. And can you get to those high elevations on a day hike or does that have to be a backpacking overnight? Yeah, it has to be a backpacking overnight. So the park is 78% designated wilderness. We only have a few roads that go through the desert. So most of the park is only accessible through hikes. So yeah, you have to have extra time. There are other options for getting into high elevations in the Tucson area, but in, in Saguaro National Park, it's really, it's about hiking. Okay. And for a campsite, you had mentioned that you like Juniper Basin, and that's a backcountry. Well, you don't have any front country camping, so that's a backcountry campsite. Yeah, we don't have any front country camping, but we do have the closest campsites are about a five or six mile hike, uh, both Juniper Basin and Douglas Spring. All right. So that may be a few more years till my kids are ready for that. <laughs> yeah, but definitely in mind. It's really great. And if you've got the time, it's so much fun to get, to get up in there. Oh, there's so I have a, a long running list of, from every park we go to of things I want to <laughs> come back to in a few years when they're a little bit older. <laughs> I think yeah. there's more things. I mean, we get so much out of it, but you know, they're younger and can't go as far with their little legs. So, but we'll just keep going back because there's always so much more to see. Well, one of my recommendations for parents with older kids, and I've done this with my son, is is to hike the Arizona Trail or parts of it. So we have the Arizona Trail that goes right through the heart of Saguaro National Park. Of course, it goes from the Mexican border all the way up to the Utah border. So it goes through the heart of Arizona as well. And uh, it's a great through hike if you have a lot of time or if you want to do it in pieces as we've been doing. But the part that goes through Saguaro National Park is really spectacular. And what's the total mileage of that? Of the whole Arizona Trail? Oh, I don't know. Hundreds of miles. Okay. <laughs> kind of like Arizona's AT, <laughs> the Appalachian <Yeah>. Trail. <laughs> uh, yeah, which we saw yeah. We saw a couple of through hikers last week. Let's see. And so can you tell me what's the most fascinating aspect of the saguaro cactus? You know, there's so many fascinating aspects of the saguaro cactus. It's hard to know where to begin. But to me, one of the most fascinating aspects is just its relationship with us. I mean, I've traveled in places in the world, even to Russia, and I've seen images of the saguaro cactus. So it is really kind of an iconic image that resonates with, with people all over the world. It's definitely a symbol of the desert Southwest. In the Tucson area, we're so proud of this plant and, and uh, people's feelings about it are so strong. 
And that goes back thousands of years. The plant has a really close relationship with the Native Americans of this area, and Native Americans still harvest the saguaro fruit in the park. So it's, it's a plant that we all feel that we have a relationship to. It strikes us more than any other plant as, as having human characteristics just because of its appearance. Um, it lives a long time, and so we tend to att- give it attributes such as wisdom and, and other attributes we, we give to older people. So it has this, this really strong connection with people, but it also has a really strong connection with wildlife. There are birds that build their nests in the arms or the branches where they come together, as, as well as woodpeckers that make holes, which are also later occupied by elf owls and, and other species of birds. When the swirl falls down, it's used as a home by you know, snakes and, and some birds and pack rats and other animals. So it, it's really, it's a very um, kind of complete species that has links to a lot of uh, plants and animals of the, of, the, of the desert. I love that. And of course, it's fruit are delicious and right. are eaten by any animal that can get access to them. So the birds will, will come in and eat them while they're on top of the swirl. But when they fall down, they'll be eaten by tortoises and javelinas and rock squirrels and coyotes and, and people. So it's a, a really kind of plant that lives large on the landscape. My kids' favorite aspect when I asked them about, you know, what did you learn during your visit and what was your favorite? They liked the Saguaro Hotel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do you have a favorite plant or animal in the park besides the Saguaro? Yeah, I was talking with one of my interns yesterday and she saw for the first time her, her first Gila monster. And I said, you know, you never, you never forget the first Gila monster you ever see, which is also the way I feel. And I'll never forget the first Saguaro. I ever saw. But we have some really incredible animals that have a very limited distribution in the United States. Gila monsters are, you know, I won't say common at Saguaro National Park, but you're more likely to see one there than just about any other place. And these are lizards that grow to, you know, two feet long. They're venomous. They're incredibly brightly colored. Uh, They have this pattern of black and red or black and orange or yellow, kind of a beaded pattern that's beautiful. And also doesn't change over the course of the lifetime of the animal. So we can identify individual Gila monsters by the pattern of their skin. And we actually have a citizen science project where people can take photographs of them at a safe distance and send us the photographs. And we can look in our database and see if, if we've seen that Gila monster before. But just to see one of these, you know, kind of magnificent lizards walking slowly across the desert or crossing the trail or as you're out hiking is is an incredible experience. So this is the time of year when people are seeing quite a few of them. And it's it's always a thrill. Oh, that's so cool. That would be neat to see. We saw lots of birds and we saw some, some lizards and things, but no Gila monsters on our visit. Are there other rare or endangered or unique species of plants or animals that you would like to share? I'll just say in general, what makes Saguaro National Park so spectacular and and the reason why I've worked as a biologist there for so many years is that you have so many plants and animals that you won't find any any other area of the United States. So we have plants and animals that are really subtropical in origin, you know, like the Gila monster and the saguaro and other plants that, you know, are more abundant down in Mexico, either in the deserts of Mexico, like the Sonoran Desert, or in what we call the Sky Islands and Madrean the, the Sierra Madres. And we also have plants and animals that are associated with the 
Chihuahuan Desert to the east and the Rocky Mountains to the north. So Swan National Park is really this great mixing zone. And the biodiversity of the park is unbelievable. We have about 60 species of reptiles and amphibians. We have just in the Rincon Mountains alone, more than uh, 1,200 species of native plants, and we're still discovering new species of plants. So it's, it's, it's really just a great place to see plants and animals that you're not going to see anywhere else in the United States. That's one of the reasons I love it so much. It's just, it's just really a very amazing place to work and to study you know, life on Earth. So I, I really encourage people that have an interest in biology or, or being a field naturalist to come to Saguaro because you'll be blown away by the diversity. I was. I honestly was. I expected to see a lot of just the browns and the orange with with lots of swaros. And I was so surprised to see just so much biodiversity and colors and uh, yeah, and water. I was so surprised by the water too. I think I read somewhere that some people call it the desert rainforest or something like that. <laughs> Which sounds very contradictory. Yeah, no, people are surprised. We have leopard frogs, we have turtles, we have black bears, we have mountain lions. We really have, we have American robins. I mean, we we really have kind of like this incredible range of, of different kinds of animals and plants. So, yeah. And wrapping things up, I know peak season is January to April, but do you recommend visitors come at other times of the year, monsoon season in the summer? You can see some fall colors at high elevation in the fall and what's winter like. Are there, I know you're open all year round and obviously in the summertime, you don't recommend people hiking in the middle of the day, but are there things to see? Is it a good time to visit at outside of the peak time, January to April? Well, my, my wife makes fun of me because every, every month I say, this is my favorite time of the year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you're a true desert aficionado, the time to visit the Sonoran Desert is the later in the summer, so late July, August, September. So we get summer rains. They're more reliable than the winter rains. And a lot of the plants and animals that are that are so unique to the park really are most active during the period after the summer rains start. So we get, you know, a whole range of plants that are blooming um, in August. We get tremendous uh, activity with reptiles and amphibians, but also birds and, and mammals. So, you know, that's a, that's a time of year where, you yeah, you've got to be careful of the heat. But if you go out early in the morning or in the evening, you can really see some, some um, incredible things in the park. Most of our visitors come from January through March. And of course, that's just a great time to be in the desert. But right now, April, May, um, the cacti are blooming. You know, if I go out into the park today, I'm going to see saguaros in bloom and prickly pear and choya. And all of these cactus have just amazing flowers. So really, you know, any time of year is great to visit. But when it's hot, you just need to really make sure that you take take care and, and don't push yourself too far and, and active in the early morning and the, and, the, and the evening rather than the middle part of the day. Got it. Great. Well, before we end, we always finish with a, a question to all of our guests. If you can share a favorite story or favorite experience that you've had in Saguaro where you just, you know, stops you in your tracks and you say, wow, I am so lucky to be here. Any type of story experience that you would like to share with us? Yeah, I think if you take the time to hike a little further afield, as I often do, you'll have the opportunity to come across some of these 
some of our, our sort of secret water holes that we call, uh, locally we call them Tanahas. And, you know, these are places that are in streams that the streams aren't flowing very often, but the water collects in these rock pools, which can often be really deep. And we're learning that some of these pools are actually spring-fed. And in these pools, not only will you see leopard frogs and, and mud turtles and, and am- amazing aquatic insects, but it's also a place where animals, mammals, and birds will come to drink. So some of my some of my best memories are just kind of sitting quietly some distance from these pools and, and watching the animals come in. And I remember specifically on a really, really hot day in June, just watching birds just swooping across one of these large tanahas, just skimming water. Just just a really kind of quiet sign of life on, on a, what otherwise would be just an incredibly bleak, hot day. And I always feel refreshed when I go to these places. They're, they're really magnificent. You have to go a little further afield, but places, for example, in Wild Horse Canyon that aren't, aren't that hard to access uh, have some of these pools. So, um, yeah, my best days in the park are often uh, next to these water holes. That's where we hiked, actually. That that was a day that our kids were with the, the grandparents. And so just my husband, Brian, and I hiked over there. And I, I was blown away by how much water. <laughs> but taking a note from you, that is something we don't do enough is to just sit quietly and watch and I think we were on a bit of a time crunch to, you know, get the hike done and and be back for the kids. But we didn't do it super fast. We took it slow and took some photos and things. But I don't think long enough to really see uh, lots of wildlife <laughs> like that. So we always recommend that. Stop and, and just look and listen. We always are in a hurry uh, these days. But yeah, anytime we can we can stop and, and smell the flowers and, and, and especially if you're interested in wildlife, you're gonna see more if you're just sitting quietly than if you're if you're racing down the trail. So Right. Well, thank you so much, Don, for taking the time. It was such a pleasure to speak to you and thank you for sharing your your knowledge and your stories. So I'm speaking with Don Swan, biologist at Suaro National Park, and thank you for the work that you do. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's great being a part of this, and thank you for what you do. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodysnps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag Everybody's National Parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.